Welcome to Voices of Santa Clara. Having a good idea doesn't get you done. And if we'd hit those, there would have been an explosion. We would have died, obviously. Scholarship should cultivate the virtues. Worry more about, am I searching for what I should be doing next in the world? Welcome to the show. Today I am talking with Athena Nguyen, the first student interviewee on the show. Athena is a senior public health and political science double major, and in this conversation we get into how she discovered her passions for political science, public health, and social entrepreneurship, what she has learned from being a community facilitator, what advice she has for first-year students, and her abroad experiences in Peru and Myanmar the past two summers. Let me know if you would like to see more students on the show in the future. And in the meantime, please enjoy this conversation. So thanks for being here today. I'm excited to have a little conversation. Hey, thanks for having me. So I'd love to start out by asking some about your childhood experiences and what you were involved with in junior high and high school and if there were any like stories or moments that really impacted you during that time. Oh, that's a big question. So I guess I'll start with my childhood. Mm-hmm. My parents are boat people, which means they came from Vietnam um, after the fall of Saigon, which was in like 1975. So they came to the United States and then from there they started from the bottom in the sense of like they didn't know English. Um, they had to get their, they had to basically like restart their education because they were in the middle of medical school and pharmacy school back in Vietnam. And then the war obviously ended that for them. So their inability to finish their education has always been part of my understanding of like my parents have given so much for me to be here and also like I have an older brother so my parents have funneled all of their resources um, both like emotionally and uh, monetarily um, into allowing my brother and I to pursue whatever educational opportunities that we want and that includes going to a private middle school and private high schools and then my brother and I went to private universities as a part of that. Um, What kind of stuff were you involved with in high school? I did a lot of things. (laughs) Um, I did like like, like, the Asian Pacific Islanders Club. I did choir all four years. Um, But I think probably the most impactful thing that I was involved in was this academic team called Maldi United Nations and Santa Clara has that team here so this is my eighth competitive year doing Maldi United Nations but my first year in high school uh, my mentor Brian Dodson basically came to me and he was like I basically only had him as my um, religion teacher so I didn't really know him that well but he had pinpointed me as a student that he wanted to have on the Maldi United Nations team. Mm-hmm. And he handed me a flyer and he said, I think you should really try out. Uh, it's incredibly demanding, but I think you would be really great at it. And mm-hmm. I took it home to my parents and I told them, and I was like, I don't really know. Like, I guess I, I wasn't really planning on doing Maldi United Nations or like any sort of academic team going into high school. 
Um, but he had come to me and asked me to do so. And to be polite, I tried out. Um, I got in and my life changed for the better in the sense that I learned how to be uh, a good debater, <laughs> able to present my thoughts concisely. And then also writing and researching skills um, all throughout my four years of high school. So he was a very close mentor to me. And the summer before I came to Santa Clara, he actually passed away. So that was like very impactful and very difficult for me because he was such a big part of my life. And I think that was a big part of, because that was like a big death that I had not experienced before. Like I don't have anyone else my family that's passed away so he was the closest person to me and that so grieving him and um, processing all of that was very difficult but at the same time it made me realize um, how important people are um, and to really treasure the relationships that you have with your mentors so now transitioning into Santa Clara um, when it came down to choosing colleges I was between Berkeley and Santa Clara so I chose Santa Clara for, uh, f I guess, three big reasons. So the first one is that Santa Clara has the Jesuit education built in um, as a Jesuit university. My brother went to Jesuit high school. I went to a private all-girls Catholic high school. And so learning about how my brother was becoming like a person for others and then also having um, faith integrated into my education was something that I wanted to to continue in my undergraduate career. And so that's one reason why I chose Santa Clara. The second was that um, I wanted to graduate in all four in like four years. Uh, that's something that I knew I could not do at Cal. And then um, in addition to that, like these two paired together was like small class sizes. So the academic structure um, that comes with um, Santa Clara is the fact that the largest class that I've ever had has had like 35 people. Um, the professors know my name. I've gotten very close to a lot of my professors, which is something that I learned to value obviously in high school and something that I still maintain to this day. Um, like I just met with my chemistry professor from my sophomore year just to hang out and chat about what I did this summer and what I plan to do after graduating. Um, and then the third reason is that my brother went to Stanford at the time, was going to Stanford at the time, and um, I'm originally from San Jose, so proximity with my family and just being able to be 15 minutes away from, from San Jose was a really big part of why I chose Santa Clara, mm -hmm. so those are like my top three reasons. Yeah. I guess transitioning into into college in your first year, how did that go for you? Were there any challenges or did you just immediately fit right in? I think I think it's a little bit of both. <laughs> the challenging part is all I did in high school, I was very competitive academically and with my extracurricular activities. And my parents never micromanaged me. <laughs> um, they didn't know what my grades were until the grades like came out and I was like, oh, like this is how I did. Um, so it was all personal motivation and that was something that I did not struggle with here. I think it was something of like time management because you're around friends all the time and 
I think for me, it was like, I always want to spend time with my friends, but then I also had homework. So that was something that I struggled with a little bit in fall quarter. And then I tried to do like my homework, all of it, like the first night I got here. And obviously I was not successful because that's like not a thing. Um, and I learned that very quickly. But what I found easy was the sense of community that I found here at Santa Clara, especially in um, San Filippo, which is the residence hall that I have lived in all four years here at Santa Clara. I came here because I knew a former CF in this building, like a community facilitator in this building. And he told me, choose San Filippo as your top because the community here is amazing. I love the people. I love the team. And so coming here, my best friends lived across the hall from me. I was literally two steps away from them. Um, and I always had a home to come to, uh, whether it was like literally going back home in Sacramento mm -hmm. or coming to Santa Clara, I never felt like I was out of place or that I was lonely. Mm -hmm. And you did the, the United Nations team in, in high school. Did that kind of get you interested in uh, political science or where did that interest start? Yeah, that's exactly what it was. I wanted to do international relations, which is something that Santa Clara doesn't offer as a major, but offers as an emphasis through political science. But I took intro to international relations my fall quarter here at Santa Clara, and I got very close with uh, Professor Stover, and who was the professor of, at the time, and he also like mentored me through that process. And we did a similar like modern nation simulation in his class, which I thoroughly enjoyed. So halfway through the quarter, I turned in my paperwork and declared political science as my second major because I knew that that was something that I wanted to pursue, that I was interested in. And I think it also adds to the diversity of my development here at Santa Clara um, because I now have a double major and a minor. And so I have various areas of expertise that I can pull on at any time. And I think it also helps in general to be more knowledgeable about like more topics. Mm -hmm. And did you come in studying public health or why did you want to pursue that? Funnily enough, I came in as biology and during orientation, they put like the classes up on the chart and they say, um, here, here's your four-year plan, basically. Here, here are the science classes that you have to take. Mm -hmm. And I saw physics up there on the board, and I did not have a great time with physics in high school. Mm -hmm. So I switched out of biology to public health mm -hmm. because I looked at the public health major um, requirements list, and I thought those classes were more interesting to me. Mm -hmm. um, and I've come to realize that over the past couple of years that public health is definitely geared towards my personality and my interests mm -hmm. because I am more interested in community-based health, focusing on communities rather than a single person mm -hmm. or a singular issue. Mm -hmm. um, and I've been able to carry that out in my experiences home and abroad. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so about those experiences abroad, uh, you you went abroad after your sophomore year to Peru, right? So mm -hmm. why, why did you pursue that and what were you doing in Peru? So I chose Peru because it was one of the cheaper packages that was offered. Um, and I was looking into what, like, for example, one program in South Africa was $6,000 with not including the $2,000 round trip. 
plane ticket. And this program in Peru for five weeks, so the same amount of time that I was looking at in South Africa was less than $2,000. So that was one factor for me. And also because I had known someone who was a former Gene Donovan fellow through the Ignatian Center who had recommended that same program to me. So based on his experiences, I felt more comfortable going with that same volunteer program. In Peru, I worked with the Missionaries of Charity at an orphanage and recovery facility for people with special needs. So I worked primarily with children and um, roughly, so of roughly like 25 of them, 20 of them are um, in wheelchairs. So that includes a lot of physical therapy, um, lots of feeding. They also don't have laundry machines. So a big part of the day would be cleaning the bed sheets, doing the laundry, prepping for the mealtime, um, physical therapy, all that kind of stuff. So that's what I did in Peru. And I think it was very transformative for me because it had been my first time out of the country by myself. Mm-hmm. I had gone with my family before um, to like outside of the US, but this was the first time I was getting on a plane, navigating around uh, an unfamiliar place, speaking a different language. Uh, so all of that was very um, interesting and challenging in many ways, but nonetheless incredible experiences. Mm-hmm. And the relationships that I formed with the people, the children, and my host mother is something that has motivated me to return to Peru. Mm-hmm. Um, ideally, I'd like to return within the next year or so. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah. yeah. Were, there, were there any like surprising or impactful uh, moments from that trip that you can remember? Yeah, I can think of two really big ones. Um, so one of them is I was feeding, or I was I was done feeding this child, and he was about five years old at the time, and he didn't speak because um, he was just uh, undeveloped mentally, so he couldn't speak. But so we were just sitting there and playing together. And this woman that I had never seen before came up to me and like waved me away. And so I just, I like walked away and I sat with one of the other nuns and she was telling me the story that, oh, that's his mom and she's coming to this orphanage and he's, he's actually not a permanent resident of that orphanage. Um, And she was telling me that his mom was coming to basically give him up completely because she had another child at home. She had like another child with special needs also at home. So she had a lot on her plate already and she didn't have the resources to take care of her son. And I like look over and she had brought this like blanket and these toys for him. And she like picked him up out of his wheelchair and like cradled him in her arms. So that was very touching. And you could tell that she obviously loved him very much, but it's difficult if you don't have the resources to take care of your family. So mm-hmm. that was incredibly challenging for me to witness because as a public health advocate, it's very difficult to see a, a person who obviously cares about their family but doesn't, but is not capable of doing it because of something outside of their control. Mm-hmm. So upon my return to Santa Clara, I delved into researching why certain communities were marginalized Mm -hmm. or certain communities were privileged over others. Mm -hmm. And um, that definitely informed my position 
and further ignited my passion Mm -hmm. for public health Mm -hmm. and also political science because I understood that there were policies impacting that as well. Mm -hmm. Um, The other experience I can think of is that I got very close with the nuns there. There's photos of them throughout my room. And they had given, they gave me these, um, they gave me like a rosary and they gave me these two charms on this necklace that I wear pretty often. And they had invited me. I was, we, we like did lots of things together. Like we would like make beds or do the laundry. And we got very close because we would just talk about where I came from and my, um, my childhood and my family. And one of the things I told them was that, um, my family is very religious. So we have... I have like priests and nuns in my family, so um, that was something that I talked to them about. And back at home, I volunteer with nuns as well. So it was a very comfortable environment for me. And one day they invited me to join them for mass. And I was like really nervous because mass was like an hour before coming to work. So that meant it was from seven to eight and I already woke up an hour before. So like time-wise, I had to obviously wake up an hour earlier, but then, it's such a very intimate setting to be in mass with the with like the nuns running this this organization and so i joined them and i was like on time and i was sitting in the back and they it was a very beautiful mass it was very simple um and i didn't know a lot of spanish at the time so i just sort of sat there and absorbed the experience for what it was and they had these like little books and I could see the finger marks where like nuns before me had like held it and the pages were worn and, and whatnot. So that was very interesting for me. And then they started reciting the prayer of St. Francis, which is the patron saint of my high school. And I was so emotional that I started crying in the back of this small chapel. And that was really emotional for me because these people had like these nuns had invited me into their personal space mm-hmm. so that I could gauge so that, so that I could engage in this incredibly intimate experience with them and it's something that I'll always be grateful for and something that I'll always remember awesome that's really cool thank you this and then moving into this past summer you did the, the global social benefit fellowship through the Miller Center for Entrepreneurship so can you talk a little bit about what you were involved with uh, there and what you learned from that experience? So as a Global Social Benefit Fellow mm-hmm. through Miller Center's program, I was in the field in Myanmar for two months mm-hmm. working with a social enterprise called CocoTech, mm-hmm. and that's like a health tech startup. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, when the borders opened up in Myanmar within the past decade, their um, technological system has like rapidly evolved. Mm-hmm. So everyone there skipped the Nokia and flip phone phase and everyone there has Androids now. So CocoTech developed an app called Maymay, which means mother in Burmese. And it has tons of excellent information um, in really like related to pregnancy and also childcare. Um, it's advertised as an app for pregnant women, but it has features for all sorts of people. So it has content on nutrition, fitness, gender-based violence. Mm -hmm. The app itself has hotlines for gender-based violence. So that means if you have a question, Mm -hmm. then you can contact someone through CocoTech. But if you are a victim, here's like a direct hotline to someone who can help you. Um, It has like online shopping features and 
um, it's structured like a social news feed is one of their features as well because Facebook is very popular there. So structuring their app like a social feed has also been very beneficial for them. The two big things that we discovered were, one, people really enjoyed the weekly messages. So women who were pregnant could put in their due date and they would get updates like, you're in week seven, here's how the baby is developing, and here are some symptoms you may experience. That was incredibly helpful. And the second thing that they really enjoyed were like weekly quizzes. So women would get quizzes and um, they each answer and question had an explanation as to why one answer was incorrect or one answer was correct. And if users got the answer, the um, like clicked on an incorrect response, it would be recycled in the quiz and they would take it again until they got the question right. So that's a great way to um, disseminate information in a very low cost fashion. But um, the issue that we discovered and that also CocoTech is very aware of is uptake. So you can download the app from the Google Play Store, but a lot of people in Myanmar don't have um, they don't have email accounts, which you need for a Google to download apps in the Google Play Store. So that was one thing that we were helping them with. And as a part of my interdisciplinary team, I had Esther Bartlett, who is a bioengineer, and I had Emily Alonso, who is a communication major with an emphasis in film. So Ezer is the expert in user testing, designing programs. I'm the expert in public health and political science, and Emily was the film expert. So putting together all of our strengths um, was incredibly helpful for the work that we were doing abroad. And that basically involved doing six video interviews, um, 15 in-depth interviews. And we also worked with the CocoTech marketing staff to conduct 162 phone surveys. Um, on the other side, we also did some other data collection as well so that we could compile our deliverables, which we'll give to CocoTech within the next month. Mm -hmm. Yeah, cool. Yeah. And has that, did that trip influence your, your career aspirations or what you hope to do after graduating at all? Yes, it has very much so. This time last year, I did not know what a social enterprise was. I didn't know what social entrepreneurship was also in general. And so this fellowship has definitely altered my view of myself, how I engage with the world around me, how I perceive myself as a leader and as an advocate for others. And I definitely see working in social entrepreneurship as one of my career paths um, because I would love to work for an organization but an organization that has social impact is something that is so much more meaningful to me and I see that in the people that I've done informational interviews with I see that in Mike Lewin the CEO of Coco Tech and the people that we met in Myanmar and they constantly inspire me and I also see that within the other fellows in my cohort as well speaking about their experiences so it seems like like a lot of a lot of people in college are maybe more focused on you know the, their career or their academics or the social aspect or being involved in extracurriculars but it seems like you're kind of involved in all four of those i guess how do you how do you balance all that and like what i don't know what advice would you give to someone who wants to get more involved i would say to prioritize what matters 
college is one of the most non-committal times in life. And so I did lots of things <laughs> that I found out that I didn't really like. And I dropped it or I, you know, rescinded myself from from that part. And I was okay with it um, because I found that one, it no longer gave me happiness or it was taking, like I was giving too much and not receiving enough. And so just knowing myself, I realized that I wasn't really happy in that position or in that role. Um, pursuing social justice initiatives is something that really matters to me and something that I've been very fortunate to find overlap with in all the things that I'm engaged in. Um, but another big part of it is time management and that goes hand in hand with prioritizing. So really setting aside time to do a task or to sit down with someone and being fully present for it as opposed to trying to schedule something and then switching it around because something better came up. Mm -hmm. Though I do understand um, that things do happen. So it's a fine line between being very flexible but then also like knowing your time and like setting it aside so that mm -hmm. you can get things done. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that makes sense yeah, yeah. or if I should like re-say it. No, that makes sense. Um, I guess why do you, what has been one of the best decisions that you've made in college? One of the best things I've ever done for myself is being comfortable enough with asking for things mm -hmm. and asking for help because there's great humility in it. And I think, knowing yourself well enough to know these are my strengths but these are also my weaknesses so can you help me with that mm -hmm. or most people are willing to help you mm -hmm. um, and I think a lot of the times and I've also <laughs> learned this as a community facilitator mm -hmm. that many people are caught up in their own lives and so it's very difficult for someone to pinpoint one of your issues if they're too caught up in their own mm -hmm. um, and that's something that I, as a community facilitator, try to be in tune with within my residence. Um, but at the same time, I always remind people, like if you're struggling with something or if you want to know more about something, mm -hmm. then you can just ask and people are generally like willing to help you. Mm -hmm. um, so just don't be afraid of that. And to be more confident in things mm -hmm. is something that I've come to realize. What's your favorite part about being a CF? Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh, I can go on and on about it. I think it's the relationships that I have with my residents. I I didn't have a great CF mm -hmm. my first year here at Santa Clara. Um, I believe that my CF was passionate about their job and excelled at it. However, mm -hmm. I did not know my CF very well. Mm -hmm. And although I knew other CFs in the building very well and they definitely helped me with my transition into college, that was a big part of my life and another reason why I was so motivated to apply um, to be a community facilitator. So in my past two years as a CF, I've had the opportunity to develop really amazing relationships with my residents where it's not, it's not like I'm just looking out for you, like I'm responsible for you. So don't do anything bad in front of me kind of thing but it's more like I'm like please feel comfortable asking me like approaching me for anything whether that be advice about you know like romantic advice or classes um <clears throat> or if like residents just want to come into my room and do homework mm -hmm. and spend quality time 
that's totally fine and that's something I'm very comfortable with and something I'm very fortunate to have here because I have been able to mentor a lot of really amazing students and help them see the potential that I see in them and to see someone blossom throughout their time here at Santa Clara is incredibly amazing and something that I've been incredibly fortunate to witness and be a part of. Yeah, awesome. Well, I'd love to wrap up by asking a couple shorter questions. Totally fine. Um, so first of all, what advice would you give to a first year student coming into Santa Clara? Oh goodness. Don't be afraid to try things. Because if you don't like it, then no one's going to force you to stay in it. Mm -hmm. like you are not obligated to stay in something just because you don't like it. And that includes majors, sports, mm -hmm. friend groups. That's something that I've seen a lot of people struggle with. Mm -hmm. um, things change in our dynamic all the time. And people have to learn to pivot and be able to adapt to it or else mm -hmm. you fall behind. Yeah. If I gave you a plane ticket and I said you can go to any country in the world and what country would you want to go to? I would go back to Peru like in a heartbeat. I would pack a bag right now and hop on that plane tomorrow um, call up my host mom and ask her to prepare a bed for me because <laughs> that's something that I wanted to do for a long time is just go back and, and visit my host family and the community and and um, the children. Mm-hmm. Um... If you could send a message to every person in the United States, what would you want to say? Love yourself and love each other. <laughs> That's fair. Um, if you could have dinner with anyone from history, who would you want to have dinner with? That's so hard. Um, like Michelle Obama mm -hmm. <laughs> or Mala Yousafzai. I think these are like amazing people. Have there been any purchases of $100 or less that have really made a big impact in your life or anything that you really like that you spend money on? Ooh, it would be that lamp. It's mm -hmm. touch activated and it's also connected to my boyfriend's lamp. Mm -hmm. So he bought us these lamps for my 21st birthday uh -huh. and he came down here and like hand delivered them to me because we're currently doing long distance now, mm -hmm. long distance which means he's only a couple hours away. But that means if I touch it, it'll light up on his side. And if he touches it, it'll light up on my side. And if like, it's like, touch activated and then it like changes color. So that's how I know when he's touching as if I have it and then he's at home and he'll like change its color and I'll like see it change. And obviously I'm not touching it. So I think that's a purchase that really means a lot to me because it, first of all, it's very cool. <laughs> Um, and then I also think it's just incredibly considerate and I like ugly cried when I got it because I'm just so grateful for someone who's incredibly thoughtful and caring and sweet and loving. Yeah, awesome. Well, thank you so much for doing this interview. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Gavin. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, thank you so much for listening to the show today. You can subscribe to Voices of Santa Clara on the iTunes podcast app. You can visit VoicesOfSantaClara.com for interview transcripts, and you can like the Facebook page. Special thanks to Miles Elliott for the music. Thank you for listening, and have a nice day.